Cody B, this is Wavy Gravy. Welcome to Death Tracks. Tuesday, February the 25th, 2020, we are live in studio. Thanks for joining us. And wouldn't it be neat if the people that you meet had shoes upon their feet and something to eat? And wouldn't it be fine now if all humankind had shelter?
This is KUKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui, streaming live on KUKU.org right now and on Facebook Live at KUKU 88.5 FM if they don't kick me off because I'm playing music, which they will at some point. But anyways, I'm right here. This is uh, February 25th, 2020. Uh, good time to call into the show, 808-873-3435. A big shout out to one of my regular listeners, Hafiz Ireland, whose birthday it is today. He's a regular a listener, but um, he's more of an irregular kind of guy, um, which um, I have so much respect for who he is and um, the work he does in the world and the way he approaches life and um, the holiness. So shout out to you, Hafiz, if you're out there. And um, as far as Forever Young, uh, I think many of us have discovered that uh, the fountain of youth is in the heart. And that's where it is. And that, to, uh, that any other way to approach it, I think, is a setup for uh, suffering in terms of... Um, the the many ways people don't want to get old. Um, people want to live long, but they don't want to get old. I don't know how that works, but <clears throat> that seems to be people uh, want to live really long, they don't want to get old, and they want to skip the dying part and go right to the dead part. And maybe you're, you're one of those people that uh, I've asked so many people, and most people want to die in their sleep or, uh, or, or some such way uh, quickly and maybe doing their favorite thing. But quickly, in other words, uh, most people have a real aversion and fear of the dying part of the dying. So, and I can understand that because there's so many nightmare stories about um, people dying because so many, uh, so many reasons to die are diseases where you can die, be dying for years. And hardly anybody thinks that looks good. In fact, I run into people that uh, thinking getting old doesn't look good and seeing some of your abilities and mental capacities and um, skills declining. That itself doesn't look attractive to a lot of people now. And why bother? Why bother? And if you couple that up with a world uh, on fire, I would say that um, doesn't appear to be getting uh, better uh, in the greater sense, any any time soon, uh, it probably adds to uh, people thinking uh, maybe they just want out of here at some point. In fact, uh, I would say every state in the country will soon have an assisted dying uh, law, um, but they're very strict at this point. Uh, very strict, very limiting as to how long it takes. And the fact that you actually need to be and dying of a terminal illness, uh, that the average life expectancy is six months or less. Um, but I do meet people that are healthy people that don't think they want to go on the downward. We don't really value the downward part. We're, we're such a growth-oriented uh, culture. I don't just mean America. I mean uh, most of the world is on this growth, growth, growth. And if we're not growing... Uh, we're, we're dead. Um, 
Actually, I think it's the opposite. If we continue to keep growing, 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 uh, we'll all be dead. Um, and actually, if you think about what cancer is, it's some, it's basically cancer is uncontrolled growth. So shout out to my brother Salik and his beautiful wife Karima. Um, yeah, a lot going on out there, as you know, uh, Laurel. A dear, dear friend, um, you I bet every one of you knows somebody that's uh, recently uh, found out they have something they didn't know they had a few months ago that may end up be the thing that kills them. Yeah, yeah, and of course on the other side of that or on the same side of that <clears throat> is grief. And uh, many of us are grieving what we will lose or what we are losing or what we have lost. Lose, grieving what we will lose. Maybe that's what love is. Love is grieving what we will lose. And grief is love what we ha loving what we have lost and are, and are losing. And we're, and we're witnessing uh, so much loss and the ending of so many things even in the realms of beliefs, uh, beliefs in institutions, beliefs in the political system or the economic system or the, um, the great democratic values that um, preach tolerance and uh, justice and social e equality. Not, not to mention uh, how many uh, people are dying from an, uh, what may be a pandemic, meaning um, it may be out of control soon, and yeah, all that and more. And so how do we stand in the midst of that? That's maybe one of the questions of our time. How do we stand, how do we show up in the midst of uh, so much possibility and and so much hopelessness uh, happening at the same time? How do we show up, and why? Why bother? Why bother? Uh, this is from uh, CalebWild.com, Confessions of a Funeral Director, and this is thirty-seven reasons your grief isn't a failure. And feel free to interrupt me now while I'm reading. This is a good time to call in eight zero eight eight seven three three four three five. You've got a question. Uh, you've got something on your heart um, you want to speak to or speak on or um, unburden yourself. Oftentimes, uh, maybe you see this, I see it all the time, that when somebody can actually speak to something that's sitting on their hearts, it's it's often a, a weight lifted. And and uh, I think calling on the radio actually is such an uh, easeful, non-threatening way to um, share something that's intimate and um, vulnerable and, and, and close to you because you're anonymous, really. Okay, 37 reasons your grief isn't a failure. When your loved one dies, you haven't failed them. When you haven't practiced the best self-care because death has consumed you, you're not a failure. When you go back to work and you're still grieving just as hard as ever, 
you're not a failure. When the decision is made to take your loved one off of life support, you're not a failure. If there's tension in your family with your siblings or children, you're not a failure. When you can't decide on what music your loved one would want for the memorial service or what outfit they should wear for the viewing or the type of food for the luncheon, you're not a failure. If it takes you two years to even talk about it, you're not a failure. If you want to remember the date and day your 16-year-old daughter died and talk about her, even though it's 25 years later, you're not a failure. If all you can think about is that you never got to say goodbye, you're not a failure. If you weren't aware how much you loved, how much you loved him until he was dying, you're not a failure. When you're driving down the road and still can't look at the place you last saw your loved one, you're not a failure. If your baby dies, you're not a failure, and you will always, always be their parent. If your husband divorces you after your mother's death because you are just so sad, you're not a failure. If you're mad at God, you're not a failure. If your loved one lost their battle with addiction, even if you've done everything in your power to save them, you're not a failure. If you can't make all his last dreams come true, you're not a failure. If you can't stop grieving long enough to enjoy your last days together, you're not a failure. If you didn't get to say I'm sorry and also forgive them before they died, you're not a failure. If you ate your grief and gained weight, you're not a failure. If every time you think of that person, even if their death was years ago and it still makes you ugly cry, you're not a failure. Ugly cry. You're not a failure if all you want to do is sleep after your husband dies and leaves you a widow with four, four young children under six. If you have regrets of things you should, shouldn't have said to your deceased loved one, you're not a failure. If you go back to work and then realize you need more time off because you literally can't function and process under the trauma of grief, you're not a failure. If you don't feel like talking about your loved ones, it doesn't mean you're heartless. If you were not physically there for your loved one when they were sick, you're not a failure. If your in-laws still make you feel like it's your fault that your husband took his own life, it's not your fault. If you're so angry that you can't even cry, you're not a failure. If you don't feel anything right now, you're not a failure. If you still cannot imagine yourself with another man, even if your husband had been gone over six years, you're not a failure. If you haven't done the laundry and there's a pile of dishes in the sink, you haven't failed. If you missed the sickness signs, you're not a failure. If you're finding new love, you're not a failure. 
if you're angry at the deceased or you're not grieving the way you think you should be, if you feel guilty or you laugh and feel some joy, you're not a failure. If you need help, you're not a failure. If you need people in your life, you're not a failure. If you need to ask your doctor to increase your antidepressants, if you need to see a therapist, if you need to be alone and away from people, you're not a failure. If you're just getting by or you can't do it and you have no idea how you'll go another day, you're not a failure. My goodness, don't you remember when you went first to school? You went to kindergarten. And in kindergarten, the idea was to push along so that you could get into first grade. And then push along so that you could get into second grade, third grade, and so on, going up and up. And then you went to high school, and this was a great transition in life. And now the pressure is being put on. You must get ahead. You must go up the grades and finally be good enough to get to college. And then when you get to college, you're still going step by step, step by step, up to the great moment in which you're ready to go out into the world. And then when you get out into this famous world, comes the struggle for success in profession or business. And again, there seems to be a ladder before you, something for which you're reaching all the time. And then, suddenly, when you're about 40 or 45 years old, in the middle of life, you wake up one day and say, Huh? I've arrived. And by Jove, I feel pretty much the same as I've always felt. In fact, I'm not so sure that I don't feel a little bit cheated. Because you see, you were fooled. You were always living for somewhere where you aren't. And while, as I said, it is of tremendous use for us to be able to look ahead in this way and to plan, there is no use planning for a future which when you get to it and it becomes a present, you won't be there. You'll be living in some other future which hasn't yet arrived. And so in this way, one is never able actually to inherit and enjoy the fruits of one's action. You can't live at all unless you can live fully now.
knocking on my preacher's door singing come on preacher ain't you ready to go and my preacher stooped down buckled up her shoes and she moved on down by the jordan stream and then she shot hallelujah done done my duty got on my traveling shoes you know the death came a knocking on my front door saying come on sister ain't you Okay, I'm back. Um, got some friends out there. I hope you'll call up the show. 808-873-3435. My dear, long, long, long time friend Robin and her mom are here, Jean. Uh, we spent some time with them last night. Come on, Jean. Call me up. Call me on the radio now. Meanwhile, this is from BBC.com. The Garden Helping to Heal the Pain of Pregnancy Loss. And this is in this I'm commenting here. This is often an area that doesn't doesn't get enough attention uh, when when there's a stillbirth or a miscarriage, and hospitals don't really make space for it uh, in general. In fact, I was requested by a family to please uh, go and pick up their uh, stillbirth baby, and because I was a funeral director, and only because I'm a funeral director. Uh, the hospital would release uh, an envelope, uh, a large envelope, to me uh, with the, the tiniest little uh, baby you can imagine. And the family could then, uh, the family was uh, so uh, grateful and delighted and, and um, deeply uh, touched that they could then take their uh, baby home, which was their baby, uh, and will always be their uh, daughter to bury in their in their at you know in their yard so this is something about honoring those families and those babies the garden helping to heal the pain of pregnancy hold on one second there make sure the phone's working if somebody wants to call in but here's the article <clears throat> A unique garden is helping Canadians to break a taboo that exists in many societies. It's allowing parents to talk openly about miscarriage. After Debbie Bellino gave birth to her first child, she and her husband looked forward to a future with a large family. It was something they had always dreamed of. But as they prepared for the arrival of their second daughter, the problems began. I lost Victoria at 21 weeks in 2013, remembers Debbie. That was her first miscarriage, 
but she went on to experience eight more over the next five years. I better read that again. I mean, that's a lot to take in. That was her first miscarriage. But she went on to experience eight more over the next five years. Wow. I can only imagine, only imagine what that feels like or felt like. I was torn apart and put through the ringer, she says. Doctors couldn't work out why Debbie was having these problems after her initial healthy birth. About 3,000 Canadian women experience stillbirth every year, and it's reckoned that 15 to 20 percent of pregnancies result in miscarriage. But to suffer nine in a row is exceptional. Wow. How intense. Imagine being pregnant eight times with all the delight and anticipation and just so, so much love present. And not to mention, or also to mention, uh, the bodily changes that happen, which I don't know about being a man, but uh, I see them, I witness them, and certainly I've uh, been around um, uh, my wife when she was pregnant in terms of the bodily changes and the mood swings and the appetite swings and and again the the excitement and the love and the delight anticipation and um, to go through that nine times and and have a dead baby born each time wow I'll read on five of the babies were lost in the first trimester of pregnancy and four in the second. Amid all the emotional turmoil Debbie and her family were experiencing, some poignant and very practical questions reared their head. What do you do with the remains of a child lost during pregnancy? How do you honor their memory? A miscarried child can exist in a kind of limbo, thinks Debbie. They're too young for a funeral, but too old to ignore they existed. We didn't know where to place Victoria, so we just left her in the hospital. She was exactly referred to as, quote, unquote, bio-waste. It broke my heart to pieces. Wow. Debbie was too upset after losing Victoria to think about things like funerals, but with her second miscarriage, William, after 16 weeks, came a revelation. A doctor told Debbie about a place nearby called the Little Spirits Garden. The Little Spirits Garden is a landscaped garden dedicated to the memory of children lost during pregnancy. It was completed in 2012 and sits within the grounds of the Royal Oak Burial Park a cemetery in Victoria, British Columbia. Within it are a series of long concrete plinths with small gray houses resting on them. These are spirit houses and each one commemorates a lost child. There are about 400 house houses in the garden with space for up to 3,000. Doctors put bereaved parents like Debbie in touch with the team that runs the garden. If they think it will benefit them, the service is free and is supported by donations. 
If a child is cremated, ashes can be scattered in a special section of the garden or placed in an ossuary, a vault which sits underneath a pavilion. Whether or not the child is cremated, parents are given a spirit house. These are made of refined concrete. They also have a small womb symbol inscribed inside. A motif repeated throughout the design of the garden. The concrete is designed with indentations so that over time moss will grow over it. Families can customize their houses with their own designs or leave them bare with just a name inscription. It's really difficult when you have a miscarriage and you don't have a body because there isn't a physical object, says Debbie. The Little Spirits Garden provides the, that object for you, which is the house. As she only found out about the garden after her second miscarriage, she made sure she got a house to mark the first two, as well as the subsequent seven. I have a lot of real estate in this garden, she says. The feeling I got from it was a sense of validation, the sense that someone can see what I feel. You can look at this and call it your daughter's spirit house. It felt so good to be able to have a home for her. She visits her nine houses regularly. I go on their birthdays, their due dates, and the days that they passed. I go there for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, Valentine's Day. My husband and I need to connect with the children we would have otherwise celebrated with, says Debbie. To be given a spirit house is the most generous, loving, kind thing that one human being can do to another. Because the sad thing about miscarriages or stillbirths is that it's such a taboo to discuss it. The garden is the kind of place where you are free to feel what you need to feel and grieve the way you want to grieve. Actually, I'll comment here. I thought, uh, I thought uh, abortions, uh, in my view, have an equal place um, in this little spirit's garden because I, me I meet women, many women, who are grieving years and years later the abortion that happened. I'll read on. The garden was designed by Canadi Canadian landscape architects Bill and Joseph Daly. The inspiration came from a Bill's time in Japan where he lived for two years. And while there, he was struck by a Buddhist tradition known as Jizo, the practice of creating a small votive statue to mark the death of a child. These are usually placed in temples which have cemeteries attached to them. During festivals they are adorned with clothing, typically little bonnets woven by parents, and they are all brought out together to form a pageant. I found this inspiring, so tender and beautiful to see these creations, says Bill. I was struck by the sense of magnitude when these were displayed together on special occasions, showing a collective loss in society. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Bill wondered if something similar could work in Canada. I realized that the spirit garden would have to be an ecumenical space because we are a pluralistic society in Canada. I would need a symbol that was inclusive, and the house is a universal symbol of protection and non-denominational. His team held a series of workshops to test what people thought of the idea, inviting parents who had lost children, counselors, and religious leaders. There was some resistance, Bill remembers, especially from those of the Christian faith who were taken aback by the Japanese origin of the idea, but he persisted. My inner monologue at the time told me our entire country is based on immigration and adopting ideas from the rest of the world, says Bill. Eventually, everyone came round to the idea, and the garden became a reality. This is beautiful. I want to go back just to read you what, what I'm... The garden helping to heal the pain of pregnancy. Let's see, where am I? Here I am. <clears throat> Working at the burial park for four, five years has given Susan McMullen an insight into the taboo that prevented discussion of miscarriage in years gone by. She's welcomed a number of elderly visitors, including some who have traveled long distances to get here. A woman came recently who had experienced a loss in 1955. She asked if she could still have a spirit house, and of course she could. Susan thinks it offers a way of closure for people of that generation who are unable to openly grieve the loss of a pregnancy. Excuse me there. I'll need a drink of water. I'll play a song, and then we'll continue. <coughs> Let's see now.
this is Bodie B. This is Death Tracks, Tuesday, February the 25th, 2020. I'm reading from an article called The Garden Helping the Heal the Pain of Pregnancy Loss. <clears throat> great, um, great stuff. Let's see, where am I now? <clears throat> A woman came recently who had experienced the loss in 1955. She asked if she could still have a spirit house, and of course, she could. Susan thinks it offers a way of closure for people of that generation who were unable to openly grieve the loss of her pregnancy. Wow, how sad. Of course, that's probably still common that uh, people feel they they can't really grieve, especially in this situation, the law, the death of a uh, a stillbirth or a miscarriage, the death of a baby before um, fully developed and born healthy and happy. Susan herself keeps two houses in the little spirit's garden. When I had my miscarriage in 1991, it was upsetting to my husband and I because we'd already had our son, so we got a bit ahead of the game. We started telling people a little sooner, she says. Oh, I see. They'd ar they'd already, uh, in their minds, were already being with their new baby. Yeah, of course. So people in your friendship group hear that you are pregnant, but then you're not pregnant anymore. It was a very awkward time. More than two decades later, she and her husband chose to commem commemorate that loss with a house in this garden. But Susan also wanted to mark another loss, too. My mother had suffered a miscarriage in the early 1960s prior to my birth, she explains. This had long weighed on her mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I've taken the opportunity to honor the sibling that came before me. I put a little house out for 1960 and one for 1991 as well. She fears that her mother received no sympathy at the time. Well, the mindset was just, it happens, you move on. It was a pull up your socks and get on with it kind of thing. If you lost a baby, there was a reason for it, Susan says. But our new generation feels empowered to share our grief. <clears throat> Debbie likes to visit the little spirit's garden with her daughter. She, too, has had her expectations dashed, Debbie says, when waiting for a brother or sister who never arrived. Now eight years old, she's been accompanying Debbie to the garden since the age of three. <coughs> she, excuse me. She would prance around, dance and play, talk to her brothers and sisters, bring them Easter eggs, sing to them, tell them, I started school. This is what I wore for Halloween. She talks to the houses, says Debbie. Debbie calls the support network of people she met through her miscarriages the lost community. And it was by joining this community that she found a longed-for son. She met a woman who has also suffered miscarriages who offered to be an egg donor for her. We created a boy a year ago, she says. She refers to him as a rainbow baby. 
as healthy babies born after a miscarriage are sometimes known. He now visits the garden, too. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Jizzo. Wow, that's beautiful. I better I better play something here now. Well, let's try this. Um we could try that one. Six-year-old, training wheels are for babies. Just let go already. Regards, a seven-year-old. Dear seven-year-old, no matter what anyone says, stay weird. Signed, an eight-year-old. Dear eight-year-old, find out your babysitter's weakness, then use it against them. Signed, a nine-year-old. Dear nine-year-olds, don't get involved with the popular kids. They're narcissistic capitalists that know nothing about politics. Signed, a 12-year-old. Dear 12-year-old, ask her to dance. Just trust me on this one. Signed, a 16-year-old. Dear 16-year-old, don't let your mom throw away your Legos. Signed, an 18-year-old. Dear 18-year-old, go easy on the makeup. You're not as ugly as you think. Love, a 19-year-old. Dear 19-year-old, just because it's an all-you-can-eat buffet, does not mean you need to eat all you can. Your parents have better interest rates than your credit card. If he says he has a weekend home in the suburbs, he's married. That rust protection undercoating, it's actually a great deal. Whatever you do, never order the salad from a truck stop. Back up your hard drive, now. I mean, who even does that? Getting laid off can be a blessing in disguise. Being a starving artist only works if you actually make art. Always be kind to your family. You'll need each other when things get tough. Stop panicking. Being a single mom is an incredible thing. I was 22. I had this little kid. I named him Vladimir. He's 14 now. He makes me proud. So, <laughs> Dear 36-year-old, stop caring so much about what other people think. They're not thinking about you at all. Signed, a 47-year-old. Dear 47-year-old, a midlife crisis does not look good on you. Signed, a 48-year-old. Dear 48-year-old, always tell the truth, except when it comes to your online dating profile. Dear 51-year-old, one cat is enough cats. Signed, a 53-year-old. Dear 53-year-old, it's never too late to try something new. I've decided to take my husband's Corvette and go to racing school. If Paul Newman could do it, why can't I? Dear 72-year-old, spend all your money, otherwise, your kids are going to do it for you. Sincerely, an 85-year-old. Dear 85-year-old, indulge your sweet tooth. You'll need that here soon anyway. My late wife made the best apple pie that you could ever find. When she cut the pieces, she would cut small ones, and when she came to me, she would cut a big one. Dear 88-year-old, cultivate younger friends. Otherwise, yours will all die off. Sincerely, 91 years old. Dear 91-year-old, don't listen to other people's advice. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Sign a 93-year-old. Just do your own thing. That's the way I say it. 
popular kids are, they're so shallow. They like hashtags and pop culture. And it's like, I don't care. That's never going to be relevant in the future. If your babysitter hates feet, do a handstand and then put your feet right in their face. Have you ever done that before? No, but I'm willing to. Dear 70-year-old, stay weird. Signed, a 72-year-old. I think that went good. I want to buy you a drink. Maybe one for this whole town I may not have that much But I don't mind spreading it around Everybody chasing something I don't know why they're running I take my time to the finish line Cause we all end up with nothing I don't know why, no why Everybody wanna die rich A hearse with a trailer Started my day Giving away All of my baseball cards It felt so good by the afternoon I gave some guy my car It ain't about what you're driving Or about the gold you're piling The less I have to worry about The more time I got for smiling I don't know why with the trailer hitch. because we're at the top of the hour and my esteemed special guest is here, but I don't want to... Um, Diana Salton is here and written a beautiful book and we'll explore her experiences 
in the book and beyond the book, but I want to let the underwriters and sponsors of this show have some words here before we do that. So that's what I'm going to do. And here, I'll check off some underwriters. Stay with us, please. I'm Bodie B. This is Death, death, <laughs> death Tracks, Tuesday, February the 25th, 2020.